Alright guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am joined by none other than Rise Up Readers Matt Carroll to recap the Falcons week sixteen loss to the New Orleans Saints. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So guys, you know me. Um I am Aaron Freeman, founder of FalFans.com, one of the longest-running Falcon fan sites on the internet. And today I am joined by one of the newer writers of Rise Up Reader, that is Matt Carolee. Uh Welcome back to the show, Matt. Unfortunately, you have the distinct honor of being the person to help me recap two losses. Uh, you got the first loss uh, against the Buffalo Bills this season, and hopefully this will be the last loss uh, for the Falcons this season. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But welcome back to the show. Yeah, appreciate you having me on, Aaron. All right, so not the best performance for the Falcons, so we're going to start this show off in an unusual way. We're going to talk about the positives. Let's talk about the defensive performance. And, Matt, I'm curious, what were your thoughts on the play of the Falcons' defense against the Saints? Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought, you know, for the most part, they were definitely, you know, the biggest positive of this game. Uh just holding the Saints to, to three of 13 on third downs was, was my biggest takeaway, um, and it was much needed. I mean, the Falcons obviously got off to that slow start uh, on offense. Um, so to be able to hold a high-octane offense like the Saints down for, for the better part of the day uh, was huge. And, I mean, now this is two matchups in a row where uh, the Falcons have held the Saints uh, to their lowest yardage uh, of the season. So for me, you know... I haven't quite figured out whether if this is just a good matchup for the Falcons defense or if like last year, you know, they're, they're starting to pick up their play uh, at the end of the season. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that. I mean, do you think that's the case? The saints are just a good matchup for the Falcons or is it, is it the latter that, that this is just, you know, the time of the season where, where this defense for one reason or another starts to figure it out. I think there's a combination of both. Um, I do think the defense's play in the second half of the season has been substantially better than it was in the first half of the season. I think we've seen that throughout several games. Their run defense, while by no means great, has not been at a level for the most part in the second half of the season where it's been a liability like it often was earlier this season as well as last season. And I think it also could be that the Saints are a a fairly good matchup for this defense just because the Saints don't really have, you know, given the injuries that they've had at the tight end position and given the fact that their passing game basically is the Michael Thomas show and the supporting players on that uh, wide receiver core weren't, aren't particularly great. And so if you only have to deal with stopping the run and, and hopefully containing Kamara out of the backfield, uh, in addition to Michael Thomas, not to say that those things are easy to do, but it's not as if the Saints are really throwing a whole bunch at you that's really um, going to you know make you have to play all over the field. And I think what the Falcons did on Sunday is outside of those first couple of catches that Camaro had, um, they were able to sort of keep him in check. Ingram obviously had a couple of big runs in the game, but for the most part, he didn't run roughshod o- over them as we've seen other backs do this year. And Thomas, whether it's due to the hamstring or, or whatnot, had sort of a quiet first half and then sort of made some big plays in the second half. But uh, I do think sort of the Falcons were able, for the most part, 
to defensively to have passing grades, I guess, if we were saying against those three entities uh, in this game, uh, even though they certainly didn't shut those guys down, but uh, certainly played better against them than I think um, other teams certainly have this year. And I, I think that leads to a somewhat favorable matchup in this game. And I think that was one of the big reasons why, you know, you know, foolishly, I, I still had hope that the Falcons could figure it out late in, going late into the game. But uh, unfortunately, that was not the case. Yeah, I mean, really, the only thing that I could say poorly about the defense over the last few games is, you know, at times, uh, you know, they, they just kind of lose their head. And, and the one play, and I think the biggest play that kind of, uh, you know, almost was the nail in the coffin. I know the Falcons still had plenty of opportunities to, to pull this game out, but but that Ted Ginn play at the end of the first half uh, was, you know, a, a case where, again, the Falcons' defense for large stretches can play really well, but then for whatever reason kind of just has a brain fart. And, you know, I know we talked a little bit before coming on the show about Ricardo Allen possibly being the guy at fault in, in a coverage lapse, but, um, you know, with the Saints, you know, offense being primarily dink and dunk uh, to the running backs and, and yards after catch, did, did you see that as a, as an opportunity? Like you watched the All Twenty Two, did you see that as a, you know, that was an opportunity where the Saints were going to try to surprise them with a deep shot and, and it ends up working? Or again, it's like I said, it was a brain fart. Ricardo Allen made the wrong play, type of deal. Well, I think the route that Ginn ran. You know that sort of um, over route from the slot is, is is certainly a route that you like. You know against what you assume the Falcons would have been in that situation, which is either cover three or, or cover one. And I think you know more in terms of the answering your specific question. I think it, it was more in terms of a brain fart on the Falcons' part. Even though I do think it was a smart play call by the Saints to to take a shot in that instance to see if you know if they could get get open over the middle and use the speed. Where you know even though Trufant is very fast, Alford is very fast. Uh, they're not as fast as Tech Ginn is. So I, again, I think that was a good play by the Saints, but I do think, like looking at that play, like I don't know what Ricardo Allen was doing on that play because the way he played it, he was playing it like like he bailed over the middle of the field immediately at the snap, like right. he was playing cover two, as in someone else was supposed to cover the other deep half. Which in that instance, there's no other safety back there to to make you think. And in that situation, I don't understand why you would expect. Trufant to cover a deep half in that scenario. So it just seemed like it was a a pretty much, as you said, a brain fart, a miscommunication. And you saw a number of those. Like there was a play that they highlighted during the game where um, uh, Thomas sort of slipped behind Trufant and looked like Trufant. They like faked a a screen um, in the flat and Trufant bit on the screen and then Thomas got open down the field and then made Devondre Campbell miss in the open field. And I think it was like a 24 yard game. But you look at that play, the Falcons are supposed to be in cover three, but the, the issue is the communication is because typically the outside defender plays the deep ball. Uh, and in that instance, because whoever the running back or whoever was lining up split outside, I think it was Kamara or something. Neil was playing outside and lined up against them. And so, there's a communication issue where, like, is the cornerback, Trufant in this case, supposed to cover the deep half? Or because he's the inside guy, he's supposed to cover the flat and Neil's supposed to cover the deep half. And because they both sort of didn't communicate on who's supposed to cover the deep half, they both 
attack the, the, the fake screen uh, um, out to uh, Kamara or whoever it was. And that left Thomas pretty much wide open uh, down the scene and, and it learned to a big play. And so you see instances like that where the Falcons, you know, and it typically happens when they're playing certain types of zone, um, where they just sort of have these miscommunications issues. And that's why they're so much better typically when they play man coverage because you, you don't have to think about things. It's just like, that's my guy and I follow him. Um, and, and so that's really one of those areas where when this defense, even though they've made improvements, where we want to get them to the point where they're going to be, you know, hopefully in the conversation with teams like Minnesota and Jacksonville as one of these elite defenses, it's going to be because these sort of miscommunications rarely ever happen and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that's the thing. I mean, all season long, we've kind of, the storyline has been harping on, you know, the offensive execution, but like you pointed out there, and, and, and it's happened in, in games, you know, leading up to that. I mean, the defense, too, ha- has areas to improve on that. And I'm not sure if you would place any of that on the coaching staff. I mean, not getting the team, you know, prepared week in and week out. I know I've, I've been in discussions with people on Twitter about, you know, practice regiment and not necessarily getting the right reps uh, during the week for, for moments like this, but or if it's just a matter of the players needing to go out and, and do their job. I mean, if you want to comment on that, and and that can maybe lead into uh, the offensive talk too. Well, I, I think, I don't know, it just seems like to me a lot of the times when I'm watching this defense play and they, and they screw up, I think a lot of it is a combination of young guys still figuring things out and just not having great communication on the field. And I think that's where some of the criticisms I've heard throughout this year where people talk about the lack of leaders on the team and, and you have Ricardo Allen and and you have, you know, maybe an emerging Deion Jones, but probably not quite at the level of leadership where ideally you would want him. To, but again, he's, he's still a young guy. He's still trying to figure it out. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily a coaching thing, but I, I do think the players just need to do a better job some of these kinks can be ironed out just by doing a better job communicating their assignments to one another. Like, Oh, I I got this guy like that instance where I used to Thomas play. That's a clear miscommunication between um, Keanu and and Trufant. And, you know, that's something that is a relatively easy fix. I don't necessarily know that the coaching staff needs to be like, Oh, harp on that. You know, they can harp on it and, and whatnot, but it's like, you guys need to figure that out. That's not necessarily something that we're, asking to, to figure out ourselves, tell you what to do and whatnot. So, Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I think the defense has, has shown flashes. I think for the most part, you know, the interesting thing for me is I don't think the secondary play has been as good over the last month or so of the season as it was earlier this season, but I still think the secondary is still for the most part good. Um, I think the, you know, you have – Obviously, Deion Jones, whenever we play the Saints, plays really well. Um, but I think outside of that, you don't really have great linebacker play week to week. And, and so I think the rise and fall, particularly in the second half of the season, has been much more closely tied to the defensive line being over the takeover games. I, I give the defensive line a lot of credit because I think they were instrumental in sort of slowing down the Saints' run game, but they didn't create as much pressure on Drew Brees as we probably needed them to to really sort of um, – turn the tide of this game. And, and again, talking about the defense, they played well enough, certainly, to win this game. But we just needed a little bit more from them because of the offense's struggles. 
and if, maybe if they had been able to generate a little bit more pressure on Breeze and, and force him to make a few more mistakes or, or get another turnover here or there, um, that that could have really given us a, a, a real chance to, even despite the offensive struggles, to maybe pull this one out. But unfortunately, that was not the case. Yeah, I think the only thing that you could say is maybe not a good matchup for this defense against New Orleans is just, I mean, their offensive line is really good. And, uh, you know, even in that first matchup, we didn't see it very many times where Drew Brees was knocked off his spot. And I think you just got to, I mean, yes, the the Falcons' pass rush has been very inconsistent this year, but I think also, uh, you know, you could see a trend there with New Orleans. I mean, they're just a very good offensive line as far as pass protection and even run blocking goes, but especially in pass protection, they're, they're still up near the league of, fewest sacks allowed so it's just a tough matchup there in that regard but you know other than that uh like you said they they played well enough uh to to pull out this victory all right before we switch gears and start talking about this falcon offense i think you fantasy football fans should listen up it's not too late to join the 500,000 people that have already downloaded the draft app this season you get to play in a real life snake draft but you're done in under five minutes and they last for just one week you can join one right now for week 17 the best part play for cold hard cash and get this your chances of winning are 80 percent better than on the salary cap sites All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code LONFL. That's right. Play a real money game for free just by using the promo code LONFL. Just search draft in your app store or go to draft.com and come play free right now with the promo code LONFL. I've already started up my own four-person snake draft for this final week of the season. First three people that sign up and use that promo code LONFL can join me in my one-week group. Just download the draft app. I'm going to tweet out the link on Locked on Falcons Twitter account right after this episode posts on Wednesday. It's going to be a first-come, first-served basis, so join up today, win some cash, and some bragging rights. Okay, so let's uh, turn our attention to maybe some of the more negative aspects of this performance, and, and let's talk about um, you know, wh- which do you want to start with? Do you want to talk about the officiating? Do you want to talk about the offensive performance overall? Uh, I'll, I'll let you you drive the bus here, man. Uh, I guess we'll get the officiating out of the way. Uh, you know, I, I harped on it a lot, and we all harped on it a lot on Twitter, and I don't know much more that can be really said, but it, it just seemed very apparent. Um, in this one that, that they were going to, you know, heavily slanted in New Orleans favor, you know, based maybe off of the first matchup. I thought the first matchup outside of, you know, the, the touchy Matt Ryan, um, roughing the passer call that extended the Falcons first touchdown drive. And then at the end with this whole Sean Payton thing, I don't know if he necessarily, even though he was on the field screaming, I don't know if necessarily you want to just end the game in that regard. But other than those two penalties, I kind of thought, things were called by the book in that first game, but that notwithstanding, I mean, you know, that first drive, that that holding call on Jake Matthews, I, it, I'll never get over that one. I, I just don't understand how you can call, you know, Matthews got in front of, uh, I believe it was Craig Roberts, the, the outstretched linebacker trying to tackle Freeman in space and, you know, didn't it didn't seem like there was any grasp of the jersey. Uh, he, he guided him to the ground from from behind a little bit, but it's not like they called block in the back. I just that really ruined a lot of momentum that Atlanta could have built in this game, and that was the one that really, really uh, aggravated me. Um, you know, the other one probably to talk about is the Devonte Freeman uh, 15 yard un- unnecessary roughness penalty on, on drive number two. 
you know, by the looks of it, he was trying to remove a guy's shoe fr- from his chest on the ground. Um, you know, maybe there were some choice words thrown around, but when I rewatched the game, you could clearly see David Animata was also throwing some words at, at Freeman, and it's not like there was any offsetting penalties called. So that one was – that was another Bush League one that was just like, you're really making it obvious how heavily slanted you're going to call this game. Um, it, it turned out it didn't really matter. I mean, Falcons had a fourth and one on that drive, and, and a legitimate Derek Coleman false start ended that drive. But just calls like that just really, uh, really bugged me and annoyed me and made it show how obvious the officiating was in that first half. I think that's fair. Um, you know, I probably infamously at this point, <laughs> didn't sit on, on the Rapid Reaction podcast on Monday show that I didn't really have a major issue with the officiating. Rewatching the game, I, I still don't have a major issue with the officiating. I'm certainly not going to sit here and pretend that it was a well-officiated game by any means. But it's one of those things that I think in general, my my stance on, on penalties tends to be, like I, the way I explained it to somebody else on Twitter the other day was, like I see penalties as sort of a red light in traffic, where it's like you get stopped by a red light. And I just, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, you know, it can be certainly frustrating in, in certain situations, but for the most part, if you're going to drive a car, you have to deal with traffic and red lights. And it's just one of those things that's sort of intrinsic to driving. Just like I think penalties are sort of intrinsic to football and you have to sort of deal with them and over adapt and adapt and overcome. Um, rewatching the game. I, I thought the only, the only two penalties that I really had a major issue with where I just, I didn't think they were defensible call. I mean, or they were less defensible than probably initially was the second um, non-call on Lattimore on the DPI on that deep pass where live watching it, it's like, it's a light shove and, and maybe it looked like Julio tripped on his own accord to the official, but watching it again, um, even in full speed, it was just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I think you need to call that. And, and given how tight you had called the game in the first half against the Falcons, I, I don't know why you, you would let them get away with that. And particularly, they had the pool DPI, um, which I think yeah, came exactly. after that. Yeah. And like, pool held Thomas on that play. And I, you know, it was all within five yards, but it was enough where you could, the official could think that maybe he was still holding him six, six, seven yards down the field because, you know, it's hard to tell you know, the difference between five yards and six yards. Um, and so, and then there was contact at the top of the, the route, which, you know, I think Thomas did a good job selling uh, it more than, than it probably merited. Um, but it was just like, those two plays are, are two instances where I think if you're going to call one of those, I think you've got to call both of them. Um, and and, the, and the, they didn't do that. So like those were two of the two main ones that I look back at and I'm like, yeah, like I don't think the other calls were the right call, but I understand why they called them. They're at least defensible in my mind uh, from the officiating standpoint. So, yeah, I mean, we can spend an entire show probably. Uh, at least I know I can going going through all the ones that you know I had issues with. But again, um, you know, Falcons still had their opportunities despite you know the game heavily slanted in, in Saints' favor to pull this one out. And I guess. You know, we can go through now maybe some of those instances where, for me though, I don't know how much this game really changed my opinion on on anything that the Falcons have done kind of all season long on offense. I mean, it, 
you know, I think I think Charles Davis kind of made a comment about this during the broadcast, how they're just making stuff so hard for themselves week in and week out to, you know, not only move the ball, but then, you know, finish drives off. And, and this game was kind of a microcosm, you know, of all of that. Uh, you know, it started off, I think, drive three for them. You know, I, I know the officiating kind of played a part in this, but a lot of the calls on that first and 40 drive, you know, were pretty legitimate. I mean, Hardy, false start, kicking yourself in the butt. You know, the Devontae Freeman face mask, the Sanu illegal block downfield, you, you could debate those. But again, I wouldn't too much. At that point, you have a first and 40 drive. H- how much can you really accomplish there? Uh, you know, the the infamous buttception. Uh, it's it's when you thought the Falcons couldn't get any more unlucky, something like that happens, and it's just what can you really say? I mean, Matt Ryan couldn't have placed the ball on, on Marvin Hall any better if he walked it over to him. Um, and just you know, any momentum that the Falcons seemed to to generate was just you know totally shut down by you know self-inflicted wounds that have been the story all season long and I just don't know what more I can you know you can really say I mean yes the play calling uh maybe hasn't done them many favors but you know I made the point to you on Twitter it's like they've had positions to to have success but they just give it away or they butt fumble it away or whatever word you want to say to describe how this team has, has played on offense this season. Uh, it, it almost just leaves you at a loss for words at this point. Uh, so I don't know how much uh, this game really changes my, my view of them moving forward the remainder of the season. I mean, they definitely have the talent um, that's carried them through and, and they definitely have had the opportunities to, to win games. Um, but until they uh, continue to stop shooting themselves in the foot, you know, this is kind of the team we're left with. I think that's all fair. You know, I I think it's interesting that you mentioned that drive where it was a force and, you know, first and and whatever, first and a million. Um, And, yeah, I know that most people's looking at that series is going to look at the penalties and, you know, the officiating and whatnot. But I look at it when I think the Falcons were like on what it was like a second and, and 40 or a second and 30 or something like that. And it's like, in that instance, you kind of need to get something so that you can at least get into a comp, you know, a, a, I know it's going to be hard to convert a third and long, but you're, you're trying to get into a situation where it's like a third and 12 or a third and 15 or something. And I think part of the issue I have when I'm talking about the play calling, it's like, they don't really have a play that they can be like, okay, well, we need to get 15 yards. And, and, and we need to dial up a play to, to get these 15 yards so that we at least have a shot, you know, even if it's a slim shot on third down. And I think that's part of the issues I had rewatching the offense. It reminded me so much of, of sort of the Mike Smith early days against the Saints where one of the knocks on the, those Mike Smith teams were their ability to handle adversity because they were so designed and and, and what not to play like the perfect disciplined mistake-free football. And then when they started making mistakes, they really struggled to overcome those mistakes. And I think that was one of the things that, you know, I think this game showed me, which is like, for the most part, like we've seen Freeman play 
at a high level this year. We've seen Julio play at a high level this year. We see Matt Ryan play at a high level. We see Alex Mack play at a high level almost on a weekly basis. And you always get those guys playing at a high level. And then, you know, occasionally you'll get Sanu. You'll get a, a, a good Hooper game here or there. You'll get a good uh, performance from another offensive lineman and whatnot. But you just can't consistently get those other, you know, seven-plus guys involved on the team and outside of those those big four. And, like, in this game, I don't think you had a great performance from Matt Ryan. I, obviously, Freeman was sort of kept in check for the most part, and it was just Julio just doing his thing. And, and in those instances when you can't rely on sort of your big four to, to take care of business, and even Alex Matt probably not – it probably wasn't his worst game, but certainly had his fair share of struggles in this one. Um, it's one of those things where it's just like that's sort of the shortcoming of this offense. And I think that's where, you know, where I'm critical of Sark is it's just like you, you can't like you're basically, at least from my perspective, it just seems like you're so reliant on on Freeman doing his thing and Julio doing his thing that if the other team is able to keep those guys in check, like we saw in the Vikings game or in this game, um, there's really not a whole lot the Falcons offense is going to be able to throw at you that's going to help them out. And, you know, it's not to necessarily lay the blame at, at Sarkeesian's feet because, as you said, there are a lot of sort of execution issues with the drop passes and stunts really gave the Falcons problems in this game. And, you know, if, if your guards are basically failing to recognize stunts, like I don't know what the play call is going to be able to do in that situation. So, um, again, it's not necessarily to put the blame on Sark, but it is one of those things – that I agree with you. It, it doesn't change my opinion, but part of my opinion is like the play calling hasn't really put this, a lot of players on this team in positions to be successful. And I, I think this game showed that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think again, you know, this could be naivety, but I, I do want to say, stay somewhat positive about the fact that Sark, I mean, we're, we're talking about an inexperienced play caller here. And I think too often we're comparing him to Kyle Shanahan, which, I mean, that, that was kind of been the hand he's dealt taking over for him. But, you know, when you're comparing the greatest play caller in the NFL today to, to a guy who's calling plays for the first time in the NFL, I think that's why I've just taken it upon myself to, to defend Sark so much is Sark kind of came in here not getting to run his own playbook, um, having to you know, he, he takes over a Ferrari of an offense and is still kind of, I think, working through. And that's, I mean, that's the challenges you're seeing with him not featuring Tevin Coleman the way Kyle Shanahan figured out how to feature him. You know, not necessarily knowing how to feature Taylor Gabriel. Uh, at times, you know, um, Austin Hooper doesn't get uh, his looks that, that maybe he should be getting. So for me, I think patience is, is the word that I'd want to at least preach a little bit with Sark because again we have seen moments of him where he has kind of put it all together at times uh that three game winning streak was you know you didn't hear a lot of uh negative thoughts thrown his way during that time uh so again giving him another season to kind of figure out what he has I mean I know he's probably never going to figure out how to use Taylor Gabriel since he's likely gone after this season but another off season with Tevin Coleman um you know, with, with all these other guys, Austin Hooper, um, I, I still want to stay somewhat positive in that regard because, again, I think the, the points you're making is all kind of just 
some of his inexperience as an NFL play caller. Uh, you know, not, not too many guys, uh, can figure out what to do on a first and 40. And I think, you know, he's definitely in that category. Um, and then just like I said, featuring some of these guys, I think one season, uh, for a rookie play call, I think it's, it's a lot to ask for. Um, but again, we, we have seen times where he has been able to, to feature everyone. So that's kind of why, you know, I've been so adamant to, to just preach patience with, with him. And, you know, I think given time, given the system, I think this is a great system uh, that they had that Dan Quinn wanted to keep here in Atlanta. So if, if you continue to just the continuity, just keep a guy around and not just flip offensive coordinators every season, um, I think we will see uh, improvements in 2018. I, I think that's a, a, a fair, like, I, I, I think I may not compare it to you, Matt. I think you're on one end of the spectrum. I try to stay in the middle because I do think Sark gets a lot more heat than he deserves. I, I think a lot of people just, oh, it's the play call is bad. And, and we, you know, I think people tend to throw a lot of stuff at Sark that I, I, don't, I don't think is quite fair. And I agree with you. I think comparing him to Kyle Shanahan is, is really an unfair comparison. Um, I guess for me, my issues with Sark is he's very reminiscent to me of sort of the days of Malarkey and Cutter, the bad, not the 2012 year, but the, the other years with under Cutter. And like, to me, I think a lot of the reasons why the Falcons really struggled in the postseason in those years was because their play calling was so sort of basic and vanilla. And I guess the part of the, re- the part of my issue with Sark and part of the reason why I'm a little bit quicker to sort of throw shade at him than, than you yourself, even though I agree with what you just said, um, it's just, it's troubling to me and I'm a little bit more skeptical about how much improvement we can expect to see from him next year. Um, you know, I, I tend to be very skeptical just naturally. So maybe it's a, maybe a case of me being overly skeptical as usual, but it's like, it's hard to be overly confident that we're going to see massive growth in the offense next season when it basically took him like nine weeks to figure out how to use motion correctly in the offense. And that's, that's not something that's like, I don't feel like that's something like, oh, well, Kyle Shanahan's the only person that, like, that seems to me relatively basic stuff that you should be able to figure out and whatnot. And so that's that's part of my issue where it's like certain things, certain concepts that the Falcons utilize that I think you should be able, as an experienced play caller from the collegiate level and, and operating a multitude of offenses, you should be able to pick those things up pretty easily. And it, it seemed to take Sark a little bit too long, in my opinion, to be overly confident that he was picking up some of those relatively basic concepts. So, and so that leaves me a little bit more skeptical about how much growth and improvement we'll see next year. I do expect growth and improvement. It could be substantial growth and improvement. Uh, we could be a top five offense next year, or we could be sort of the same sort of middling league average type of offense in any sort of possibility in between those things. Um, so I tend to be a little bit skeptical, but I always tend to be a little bit more skeptical than most people. And we'll have to see. I'm not in necessarily the, you know, the mode of let's fire Stark. Um, you know, I, I probably was in that mode around week eight or so after that Patriots game. But, um, you know, I, I'm willing to give him another year. I just, it's just certain things that I see to think are relatively basic stuff, like, he's having difficulty with. And, and that leaves me a lot of skepticism. And that tends to be the stuff I at least attempt to try to criticize him more on than necessarily 
the more compli- complicated stuff that's going to put him on, on a level comparable to Shanahan or McVay or whoever else you would put at the top end of the play callers in the NFL. Uh, to your point regarding like the motions, that I mean, that was something I saw other people talk about about Sark's you know play calling tendencies, and I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't really charted any of that stuff this year, but I I recall very early on in the season, like he would do stuff that that Kyle would do in the playbook as far as you know motion the fullback out wide, like you know Shanahan did time and again with with Demarco to dictate the coverage. Can you like elaborate more on what what you mean by? by that as far as what you didn't see or, or did see? Yeah, like, it, it was weird because, like, that's the thing about Sark. That's what was so confusing about the season because if you look at those first three games, you saw stuff that, like, it seemed like he was taking stuff out of Kyle Shanahan's playbook and the, with the motion and stuff. But then after that point, there was, like, a month of the season where instead of motioning Derek Coleman out of the backfield in order to, to dictate the coverage, he would just automatically line up Derek Coleman out wide, split him out wide, and like he was like he was skipping a step, and the whole point of the motion is to sort of indicate the coverage. And it seemed like there was like four to six weeks of the season where like he wasn't doing that, and it was like he didn't understand why you, you're supposed to do that. Like you, it's not the goal isn't to split out Derek Coleman <laughs> to get him as a wide receiver on the outside. Right. The, the reason you, you do that is to indicate what coverage the team is and, you know, maybe to create some confusion where do they put a linebacker out there, do they put a safety out there, and then that then indicates, okay, well, if this guy runs a slant or, or whatever the case may be, you have one less defender in the box so that now you can attack the middle of the field or something like that. And so that's like – and it just seemed like there was a portion of the season where, it, like, they weren't doing that anymore. And it was just like, why did you do that in week two? and stop doing that in, like, week five or, or whatever the case may be. And so that's what I'm talking about, where it's just like he just didn't figure that stuff out. Gotcha. No, that's fair. I'll, I'll have to go back, actually. I'm curious to see because I, I definitely missed that. and But that would explain a, lo- a lot of the reasons why they had that one and four stretch then, if that's the case. Um, the other thing I want to, you know, touch on as far as, you know, you comparing, you know, this offense to, like, the malarkey and the – unsuccessful dirt cutter offenses I, I know you know with them like you said you almost had to play a perfect game you know dink and dunk down the field type drives um the one thing that you know I'm wondering this year is I mean we saw early on and you know Ryan did have success at, at certain points but for the majority of the season he he has struggled with his timing with his receivers on the deep routes any you know semblance of you know, that that's why maybe we're seeing that, you know, this year as far as our feelings go with with Sark's offense, that it's just a dink and dunk and, and the explosiveness and, and the deep shots aren't there this year is because of the fact that, you know, Ryan struggled all season long with the timing, the deep balls. Yeah, I, I think I think the timing aspect is a major component of sort of the if you want to call it regression, um, that Ryan has shown, and not just on the deep passes, but just sort of a lot of times where Matt Ryan is quick to look off his initial read and and go to his second read, and I, and it seems like the only explanation I can have for that is because that receiver didn't get open at the time he was supposed to get open, and Matt Ryan decided to instead of 
staying with that progression for another beat or two, um, he, he goes to the next progression. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I, I do think we saw that stretch of games from like week eight to like week 12 and it hasn't really been a major issue out, you know, for the most part in the second half of the season, like where Matt Ryan's deep ball is back at a level where it had been for a couple of years where he was completing a, a relatively high amount of deep passes in the second half of the season. I think that explains some of the reasons why the offensive performance improved, you know, starting with that Jets game and, and then again further with the Cowboys game and whatnot. Um, and I, I do think if Matt Ryan starts hitting those deep passes more consistently, I do think you'll see a, a significant uptick in the offensive performance like we saw this season. Um, you know, I don't know if it's just timing where that's the issue with Matt Ryan missing those deep throws. I, I don't know what it is, but it's just like there's too many instances this year, particularly in the Saints game, like there was a deep pass to Taylor Gabriel that Matt Ryan had a clean pocket to throw and he didn't pull the trigger on. I remember there was a, a throw early in, in the Vikings game where there was a deep post to Gabriel and Matt Ryan had a clean pocket and he didn't pull the trigger on the throw. And it was just like, I don't know, like, you know, it's hard to get in, into a quarterback's head, like, why aren't you throwing the ball? Are you throwing it because you don't have the confidence that you can make the throw? Are you throwing it because the wide the receiver isn't as open as you would want him to be? Um, are you throwing it because, you know, I don't know, but, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking myself yeah, in circles here. I so. mean, it, it could, it could also be just, you know, not trusting and you've talked about it and others have too. I mean, not trusting you know, the play calling too. I mean, first time play caller with, with Ryan, usually it's shown to, to take a couple years, uh, to get comfortable to, to just you know, trust in, in, in what's being called and trust that first read and just, like you said, pull the trigger. And and maybe Ryan just doesn't have that trust right now. And, and maybe he's lost some trust, uh, too, with, with the receivers, just how how often they've dropped uh, his passes and, and th- those have led to interceptions. I mean, that could also play into it, too. But, I mean, it's definitely hard, like you said, to get into, into the quarterback's head and see what he's thinking. But, you know, I, I think uh, if there is one thing, that I, I would say is maybe just it, it's taking him time to, to trust in what Sark's calling too. So, yeah, I, I think what you say, Matt, I, I can see, like you can sit here, you know, if someone came back and said, you know, I'm from the future and the Falcons have one of the best offenses in the league in 2018. And like, I can see sort of the pathway to that success level. It's just, Going back to what I said earlier, I just tend to be a little bit more skeptical and like you have to get, a significant number of things to sort of flip. And those are the types of things where you need like those instances where whether it's Gabriel or Marvin Hall or somebody else running those deep posts next year, now you need to see Matt Ryan pull the trigger on those throws and hit those throws. And all of a sudden we're talking about a different offense because now you're, you know, you're getting 40 yard gains on a more regular basis. And that's going to add explosiveness to your offense. And that's going to make things a lot harder to defend. And so, like, I can see the success that the Falcons, like, I can see it. I can imagine it. It's not hard to imagine, but it's just, you just got to have a lot of things fall into place. And it's certainly possible that those things can fall into place next year. And all this talk about, you know, Sark and his play calling, similar to the situation with Kyle Shanahan in 2016 versus 2015, where this is no longer a conversation. But I don't know. I just, I need to see it before I can believe it. That's always been my stance. 
No, I respect that. I mean, I can also see a scenario, too, where Dan Quinn being, you know, he's not a complacent coach. I mean, we've seen that with the way he reshuffled his staff after a Super Bowl run. I mean, I could easily see a scenario if Kubiak's out there and and he develops a connection with him and thinks that a change needs to be made. You know, I'll respect that. I, you know, I'll still think that Sark got a raw deal. I mean, but he was going to get a raw deal regardless. Stepping into the shoes of Kyle Shanahan is is no easy task for anybody. Um, but, you know, Kubiak, you know, Kyle is one of Kubiak's disciples, so it, there might not be a perfect, a more perfect uh, successor than that. So if he comes available and, and is interested, then so be it. And then, you know, we'll have a reason to feel excited, and then I won't have to worry about having to defend uh, Stark so much on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, like, normally I would look at the QBX situation, like, you know, I, I, I famously talked a lot of trash about Gary QBX not making adjustments in that Broncos game a year ago. Um, but it, <laughs> I think with a lot of it was with the QBX, like, I think where you want Stark to be next year is, I think, where you expect QBX to be starting you know, like that's that floor for where Kubiak is as a play caller is like right now where you think Sark's potential ceiling might be next year. And I think one of the reasons why he's still an attractive option is for those reasons, even if it may not be the most fair or, or whatever, you know, way of, of handling Sark's situation. So we'll see what happens. But yeah. Yep. All right, Matt, is there anything else that you want to uh, say before we uh, duck out of here and certainly give you the opportunity to plug, um, you know, your Twitter and, and wherever we can find your writings at? So there was one thing. We, we did have an injury situation that I kind of missed when I was watching the game live uh, regarding Levine Toilolo having a sprained MCL and likely going to miss at least the finale, if not more, if the Falcons make the playoffs. So I kind of did want to get your opinions on – how much of that you thought maybe played in, in limiting Sark's playbook, you know, being that the Falcons kind of run 12 personnel, you know, 25% of the time, roughly, uh, not being able to do that with only one healthy tight end on, on the active roster. And then also if, if you have any thoughts of, you know, maybe a Gary Barnage coming to Atlanta, uh, later today, if, if the Falcons end up making a move. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think it has to, you have to, say it had some effect because again it is a, a substantial part of their playbook um you know and you know it's a big element of their playbook when it comes to sort of their play action passing because they like to run out of 12 personnel quite a bit and then they like to sort of use that to set up some play action stuff um as for, you know, I think you have to bring somebody in because I don't think you can go into this last game thinking Eric Salford's going to pick up the slack for Toilola, whether it's Barnage or somebody else or DJ Tila or somebody, you know, I don't know who it is. But, um, you know, they, I do think they have to bring in somebody. They can't rely on Ty Sambrello to be their, their number two tight end <laughs> uh, against Carolina. Yeah, I mean, unless he hit the jugs machine in practice after that first New Orleans game, yeah, I don't think we can we can rely on that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, if fans want to find me, they can they can follow me on Twitter at Matt Carley, M A T T K A R O L Y, and uh, you can catch my work at RiseUpReader dot com. I'll probably have an article out either tomorrow or, or the next day. There you go. All right, uh, Matt. Appreciate it. Um, I hope you are enjoying your holidays. Uh, I know the Falcons are 
challenging that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I do hope that uh, hopefully we'll be continuing to play football after next week. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, we can ring the new year in with a with a big victory over Carolina. Absolutely. So again, appreciate it, Matt, and uh, good luck to this team, and, and good luck to you for the rest of the year. Yeah, you too, Aaron. Happy holidays. All right, same to you. I want to remind you guys that if you want to stay locked on to the NFL offseason, you guys should check out Locked On NFL Draft with hosts John Ledyard and Trevor Sikama, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, wherever podcasts can be found. So um, if you want to get your questions in, if you have additional questions in about the All-22, some clarifications, some comments, some opinions, then by all means hit me up. I am at Fans on Twitter. Uh, you can tweet at the show at Locked On Falcons. If it's podcast related and you tweet at Falcons, just let me know. Otherwise, just send it over to Locked On Falcons, the, tw- the show's Twitter handle. Um, if you don't like Twitter character limits, then you can always use Facebook. That's Locked On Falcons is the Facebook page. Uh, give us a like while you're there. You can also email us at LockedOnFalcons at mail.com. And, of course, the show is posted daily at FalcFans.com and LockedOnFalcons.com. And you can leave a comment there as well. So, guys, um, that's it. Uh, we try to come back with two episodes, uh, at least one of them being a preview on tomorrow and uh, Friday. And uh, we might do a Q&A. So hit up those uh, social media stuff. I will let uh, the fan talks, I'll let people, you know, enjoy the holidays as opposed to getting them on a fan talk. I'm I'm sure there will be plenty of people after the season is over, whether that's next week or uh, a couple of weeks later. um, You know, I'm sure we'll have plenty of people that will want to to express their opinions on future fan talks in the month of January and whatnot. So certainly we will have no shortage of that and we will continue to do those as the off season kicks off and, and continues. Um, in the meantime, have a safe and happy new year. You know, don't get too crazy. That includes you DW. Uh, until then guys stay locked on Falcons. Please rise up. You guys will be my brothers and sisters in this program. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.